Hey, good morning, good morning, DCF family. Uh, we are so glad you were with us this morning. Um, I love all the chatter and y'all catching up and connecting from the week. That is awesome. So um, we are going to do things just a little bit different this morning. A lot of our worship team are uh, have got strep and they've, they're sick, so they're not here this morning. So it looks a little bit different up here, but... What I love is that the Bible has declared that when two or more are gathered in his name, that his presence is with us. So it's going to look a little bit different this morning, but we are still going to get to enjoy his presence together. Are y'all okay with that? All righty. We're going to jump in this morning. We're going to jump into worship. Um, and as y'all know, our norm is that if um, you... Um, you know, what we know is that when we worship together, that the presence of the Lord's there since they're... Um, is a sense sometimes of like what he's maybe saying to you as an individual, but we also know that um, when he comes and moves among us, he wants to share his heart with his bride, and so if you feel like you have a word maybe that is for the, the body, if you'll come and share it with David or I, we're the overseeing elders this morning, we would love to administrate that so that the body feels like they've been loved on this morning, and so um, if you will stand with me, we're going to jump in, we're going to have worship on the screen it's going to be from our Northlands family. We love being connected to them. They, um, yeah, it is the church that David and I came from. We've been in a relationship with them for over 20 years. And so they are trusted and they have a heart like us for worship and hearing and sensing what the Lord is saying and doing. So this morning we're just going to pray together and then we're going to jump right into worship, okay? So, Father, we just come in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful that your truth is that you love to be with us. We are your delight. And so, Lord, this morning, we swing wide the gates of our heart to know you, to experience you, to welcome you, to celebrate you, to celebrate your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness in us and over our lives, Lord. Thank you that you are faithful in every season, Lord. God, we pray and we thank you for that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we worship you and we honor you. God, thank you that you are for us and you love us. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all. Uh, I just want to say, y'all sounded amazing this morning. Before we move into the communion, I, I, so if any of y'all know me, you know I, I, I'm an observer. I, I take things in and many times overanalyze. But y'all go ahead and have a seat. I'm sorry. Um, every Sunday, I hear a few people singing, and I can tell you exactly who they are but not today. Today, I heard the body worshiping God. And, and that messed me up in a really good way. <laughs> that messed me up in a really good way. Because it's beautiful when we as the body of Christ come together and worship and we sing out unashamed. We don't care what your voice sounds like. When we, sing, when we worship together, it's beautiful. And what we heard this morning was simply beautiful. 
beautiful. So thank y'all for blessing me. <laughs> but more than that, touching the Father's heart. I know he's smiling at us right now. And it's beautiful. We're going to move into communion. And we do, we do the open communion. We have guests in our midst every, every week. So um, we, we just practice the law of love here. We don't make a, you know, we're not going to segregate anyone. You, you judge in your heart to take communion. Parents, you determine if your kids take communion. And we're going to read the scripture here in a moment. But after we read the, and, and we're going to read the one out of 1 Corinthians 11. And I want to read that one for a specific reason because the song that we're going to play while we're coming up forward and getting the elements has such a message to it and so as we read we'll read the scripture then we'll come forward we'll everybody come forward and get the elements but as you're doing that I really really encourage you to listen to the song that Jeremy's going to play oh what a wonderful savior we have what he has done for us is just so wonderful. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you so much, Jesus, for giving your body for us that we might experience the life that you want us to have. It takes me a minute. <laughs> Sorry. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Father, for your blood. For your blood applied that has cleansed us from sin and given us life. Amen. 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 How many of you liked us in our unordinary service this morning have really sensed the presence of the Lord. Yeah, I, I love that he so loves to be with you and me. We truly are the delight of his heart. And so this morning, we're just so grateful for that. And um, so uh, we're thankful that you are with us. David and I said, um, Mark is prophesying to us this morning when he said every Sunday we have guests with us. And um, 
just about every Sunday for a little while, we've had a new guest with us. And so if you've been a guest once and you stayed more, you're no longer a guest, you're family with us. And so what we want to hope for is that you find where you fit in a local body and how you belong in, um, in family. And we work and build the kingdom together because Jesus said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And he does that through believers. And so this morning, thank you for being with us. If you are new, go to DothanCF.com, do a connection card. We would love to hear your story. We'd love to get to you to let you know a little bit about our story and the vision that we have for our future together. And um, uh, today we also are finished, uh, we're not finishing up, but we're kind of like doing some of our community groups. I know I'm jumping, Jeremy, sorry, but I just wanted to plug, if you're new, we're doing a, like a community group and a lunch today, today um, after the service, so you're welcome to join and be a part and get a little bit of feel for who we are. So, um, Miladin Tomacic is going to be with us. We have been in relationship with him for ever since the mid-90s. Um, this is from way back even when Alan Mitchell was here, so... Um, and a lot of our uh, family from DCF that was here during that time. And he is going to be coming and sharing his heart with us of what's going on in Bosnia, in the Herzegovina area. And so that's going to be on October the 22nd. So please plan to be here. Um, bring a friend with you as well. So we love Mladen and Violetta and Aaron. And we love their family deeply in the ministry that God has called them to in that region. And so... Um, we just be excited for that. So we want to give a little bit of a plug. We're about a month away from when Fostering Hope will be launching, launching their Christmas Hope for sponsoring children that are in foster care. And so uh, we will be getting details out about that, but stay tuned for it. It is one of the most fun things that we love doing because it's the generosity of this house. It's loving on kids in our community and in our region. And our system is going to be a little bit different this year. So rather than going and just sponsoring a child on their website, we are going to have children here that we're going to be sponsoring together as a local church. So um, we look forward to you being a part of that. There's all kinds of ways to give in person in the box up front. Online, um, you can go to deathincf.com. And we are going to dismiss our kids and our youth this morning. We love what God is doing in them and how they are learning to hear God's voice and how he wants to speak to them first and foremost to them individually, but then how he wants to speak, uh, speak to others around them in their everyday life and bring hope to them. So we'll be right back with a message from our pastor. I love services like this. Uh, you never know what's going to happen, and it's like a little bit un unexpected, and I think God just starts smiling because he's like, hey, this is going to just kind of freak everybody out a little bit because it's different. So I'll, I'll, I'll sneak in a couple of ways that you weren't expecting. <laughs> so I, I see God doing that as well during our message. Um, I remember one time I, I came back from, actually I came back from Bosnia, a trip to Bosnia. We were over with Mladen. And I had, on the plane, I spent, I forget, I think it was eight hours. And I just took the whole time and I was just putting together the message and I had the slides, you know, and it was just, it, I, guys, it was amazing. It was so amazing. And I got back and that Sunday, our big transformer out here for our church blew. It just, right? <laughs> Came in, no power in the church whatsoever. No slideshow that I'd spent, you know, many, many hours working on. And so I, I just sat down in the front in a chair with a little stool in front of my little table and talked about Bosnia. And it was one of the best services we ever had. <laughs> so I don't, <clears throat> uh, don't miss that God can do something in the unusual and the unexpected, something that's helpful. So um, this morning, I want to start a new series 
This is a series I've been looking, um, looking forward to for a while. We've been talking about church membership. As uh, most of you guys know, DCF has been around for about 40 years. It's been here a long, long time. Uh, Karen and I met in this journey uh, with DCF about 14 years ago, and, uh, and we've loved everything about it. We, when we left our church, uh, we actually came from Northlands. We were part of the leadership team up there. We did a lot of youth ministry and just all kinds of different things. Um, worst financial time of our life, it was a downturn in the, in the late 2008, you know, 2009 when we went up there. And so it was the worst financial time in our life, the best spiritual time in our life. It was just really such a contrast. And so we, we were celebrated, we were loved, we were honored. There was mutual admiration between us and the other leaders there. It, it truly was the best church we've ever been a part of, including the ones we planted, <laughs> which is not, maybe not <laughs> a good reflection on us, but we were growing. Um, and so we said, Lord, there's no way in the world we're ever leaving this church, ever. Until he said, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> and so he sent us here, and, and over the course of some events, we were part of a team that would come down and preach into the church. Uh, at the time, DCF did not have a pastor. They were looking for a pastor. And so they'd connected with our church up in Atlanta, um, just relationally. And so we would send, uh, uh, we had a team that would go out and preach at other churches that needed, if the pastor was on vacation or something like that. So it was a team of usually um, pastors, church planters, you know, it's all ministry, um, people who'd been in ministry for a long time. So we we're all preachers, and it was an opportunity for us to preach and speak into the local church. And so we were a big part of it. And in about six months, we were part of that team coming down here. Uh, there was a few people who came in the beginning. And then after a while, um, we would, it would come time for someone to come down, and we would come down on a, on a Friday. We would uh, speak to the leadership team on a Saturday, uh, maybe do some leadership training. We'd preach on Sunday morning. We'd have lunch with the elders on Sunday uh, afternoon, and then uh, in the evening, we'd preach again, and then we would go back either that night or Monday morning. So it was a full weekend, and we looked forward to it, and it, and it turned out every single time for a long time, um, the only people who could come down were Karen and I. It was all legitimate excuses. You know, it's like, oh, I got called away on a business trip, so I can't go this, this time. Who can, who can do it? Karen and I were it. And after a few times, I mean, I'm not, I'm not real smart, but after a couple times, we're like, mm, Lord, you might be doing something here, right? <laughs> and so we, find our, we found ourselves in that intersection of the vision and the passion that God had called us to as a couple, because uh, at that point, we've been in ministry for uh, 20, 20 something years. And, uh, and so that connected with the vision and the passion that God had given this local church many, many years before. So uh, we, we thought about it. And it was like we were, um, we were still teenagers. Well, actually, we were kids when this church was formed a long, long time ago. So we looked at that and said, wow, God, what an amazing connection in that intersection. And it was a beautiful thing. And so we've been here 14 years now in January. We're excited about that. But we're more excited about where we go next because this has been a process and God's been giving us vision. I remember walking in that, that door back there the first time I came and, and recognized, Lord, you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to be the pastor here. This is what you called me to. Um, and, and we're just working out the details now. And I had a list of like 50 things I was going to change, like probably that next Sunday. <laughs> but wisdom prevailed, and I realized that's not how you do it, right? So I prayed, and I said, Lord, how do, I, how do we bring change to a church you know, because we'd planted churches before, but planting churches is easy compared to coming to a church that already exists, partly because you just get to start fresh, right? And so people come in, they get connected to your vision, you're like, and you run and you, and you go for it. You have, it has its own challenges, like no money and things like that, but you know, other, <laughs> there are other challenges when you come and connect to a, a church that's been around for a while. And uh, I, I'd been a part of a church plant, and I'd, uh, the pastor had left, and I took over as a senior pastor, 
and I was praying in, in the same vision that I had that time, and this was in Tyler, Texas, God gave me again when I came here. And the picture was of an aircraft carrier uh, on the ocean. It's like a 50,000-foot level and looking down. And it, usually an aircraft carrier has an armada of other boats that protect it and, you know, serve that boat. And so um, I watched this aircraft carrier turn really, really fast, like faster than it maybe could actually in real life. But it turns really fast. And all of, the, all of the planes that were sitting on top of the aircraft carrier fell off into the water. And I heard the voice of God behind me. He said, you can turn this ship quickly, but if you turn it too fast, you lose your ability to make war. And I was like, I'm going to write a book about that. <laughs> it was so intense. And so when we came in, our, our strategy for the first several years for a long time was, Lord, I'm going to turn this sucker as fast as I can until I hear the rubber of those airplane tires starting to squeal headed toward the edge, and then I'll maybe, you know, move back a little bit. So, so you move a church, a local church, at the speed of trust. That's a, it's a famous statement by many, many pastors, but uh, many leaders um, who, who, who have changed a lot of things for the better, and it's really, really true. And so part of that is the local church has to have trust to do what it does in the world. And, and the, if we, we were taking a church that already existed, they had to learn that they could trust us. And, and you, you can give that to somebody, but it's a little bit nerve-wracking if you don't really know them, if you, if you haven't watched them live um, their life. And so Paul makes this interesting statement about the, a leadership role that he had when he would go in and he would plant these churches. Some places he was there for a few months. Some places he was, he, he was there for two years planting a church. And uh, he kept going back to this statement over and over and over again. He, he would say, you know how we live. When we were there with you, when he would write a letter back to him, he goes, you were with us. You saw how we interacted. You saw our manner of living. And because of that, they, they could put their trust in somebody, not because they had a theological degree or because they had a title or position. Those things are fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them per se, but if you, don't have, if you don't have the goods, if you don't have the character, if you are not the person that Jesus made you to be, you can talk about it all day long. And at some point, people will begin to see right through it. The way you put that in, in, an, in another way that might be easier to understand is, um, do, you ever tell, do you ever tell your kids, you, you do as I say, not as I do? <laughs> and how much did they listen to that, right? And the answer is zero. They're like, that's just a justification for me to do what I want to do also. So it's a sacrifice in leaders to lay their lives down in a church. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But as we go into this, this new series, I want to talk about why the local church matters. And one of the things we'll talk about is why the leadership of the local church matters. I want to touch on it today. But as we go into this, this is incredibly important. So we're going to talk about um, just about four things about why the, the local church matters and why it's so imperative to be a part of a local church. And we're going to talk about how can you find a local church. We have some new people here at DCF, and some of you guys have been coming for a little while. You've been kicking the tires. You're like, hey, is this a place for me? I've seen some incredible ministry. I've seen, you know, gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and those are all wonderful, and you want that in part of a local church, and we're going to talk about that. But you also want to know and make sure that you can trust the people who are leading that organization. Um, if I invest in a business, um, and somebody taught me this because my dad didn't teach me how to do any of this stuff, but if you invest in a business, one of the things you do is you study their leadership team. Because where that leadership team goes is where that company is going to go. And so same thing's true for a, a local church. So I don't know about you guys, uh, but one of my favorite scriptures in Psalms, a lot of us have, you know, Psalm 23, but mine is actually this. This is Psalm 68.6. 
Um, this will not be the first time you've heard it if you've been at DCF for a little while. It says, God sets the lonely in families. We can, you can read the rest of that, but that's just how he works. It's what he does. So God sets the lonely in families. So if you're lonely, God says, I want you to be in a family. And this morning, our passion is, as we preach into the local church, that if you are not set in a family, right, that you would actually be set in a family. That you would make a decision and go, God, is this the place for me? Is this where I can be planted so that I can grow, so that I can have nourishment, so that the kingdom will flow into me and then through me, through this local church? Am I on board with the direction of the church? Do I, do I love grace? Do I love the ministry of the Holy Spirit? You know, do, do I think Dave's jokes are funny on Sunday morning? Whatever it takes for you to be plugged in to DCF, we want you to be plugged in. That last one's probably not as important, but it's there. So, when you think about your church growing up, if you grew up in church or churches you've been to in the past or even this church, let me just ask you some questions. What were those churches like? What is DCF like? Were the services, services filled with excitement and energy or were they boring and dry? Was there clarity and focus or were they all over the place? Were you excited through the week and the moment you got up on Sunday morning and said, man, I can't wait to get there or was it an obligation go, well, I guess I better go to church this morning, right? Did they make you fall in love with Jesus or paint an unflattering picture of him in anything spiritual? Were the services or the services life-giving or did they drain you? And what does life-giving even mean? <laughs> right? um, so there's this recent article I read in The Atlantic, and it says this about just church in general. It says 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the last 25 years, and that's something like 12% of the population, and it re represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. So that's the decline of the church is what they say. And yet, all over the place, churches are exploding and they're growing like crazy, local churches. So why are some churches, local churches, growing and exploding and doing incredibly well, and why are some other churches maybe not doing so well? Like, is it just the culture that's de-churched and just decided we just don't want God anymore? Or is maybe there's something wrong in the local churches that God wants to adjust and he wants to change? And I would, I would suggest that maybe it's a little bit of both. And we're going to get into that a little bit. So I want to give you today four reasons why the local church is imper imperative. So the first one is just simple. It's biblically mandated. If you ever read your Bible, I'm sure you've come across some scriptures that tell you this. Um, it's not vague at all in the scriptures, this truth about being biblically mandated to be a part of a local church. Acts 2.46 is a great example. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. We broke bread this morning in, in our communion, but the Bible says they broke bread in their homes as well. So it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's something we should do more of is eat together. There's something beautiful that happens when we eat together. There's a, the tradition of what the Bible calls the love feast. Um, the culture in the 60s changed the definition of that a little bit, so we have to be careful. But for all of history before that, the love feast was all about coming together and sharing a meal and loving on one another and praying for each other and seeing God bless us in, in through, through the body. It goes on, verse 47 says, praising God. This is what they would do as they met in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. Um, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
people, that God was saying as, as the church was being formed and as God was moving through the local church in Jerusalem, that the favor of God was pouring on them. Because remember, it was, they, were, they were born in the midst of controversy with the cross and Jesus and is he the Messiah or isn't he? And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came on all these people and Peter jumps up on, in Acts chapter 2 and says, this is not what you think it is. They're not drunk. It's God moving by his spirit. They're hearing God's praises in their own languages. It was supernatural. And the church was born in Pentecost, right? It was a beautiful, amazing expression. And the Bible says, as that began to move forward into some sort of normalcy, <laughs> right? Because there's no such thing as normalcy in the church. If you look at it as in terms of the world's perspective versus God's. God is creating in his church a new normal. Amen? And that's what we're all about. That's the passion. It's a challenge, and I get it. There's conflict of kingdoms. There's conflict of cultures, and we see it all the time. We feel it. We feel the tension constantly. But God's called us not to be the thermometer that just reads the temperature in the room, but the thermostat that changes it in our culture. Amen? Our families and our extended culture. So outside the temple, I'm going to show you a picture. This is the temple mount um, in Solomon's court, they called it. This is a picture of uh, Herod's temple. And that, all that open space, so Solomon's portico is that, that back part over there, and on the front part over here, there's, it was a porch with columns. And so it allowed people, you know, if it's raining or inclement weather, they could get underneath this. But this, this story of these guys uh, meeting in the temple, and then from house to house, this was happening on a regular basis. And so it, it, if we're not careful, we kind of have a picture in our head of what we think that must have looked like. But the Bible said on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ, right? And then a little bit later, the Bible said there was added to them. It was going, they were, they were being added to day by day. Every day, people were coming and finding, them, you know, finding Christ and who he was and the Messiah, and they were becoming Christians. And the majority of these, obviously, were, were Jewish people. And so it was changing things. And in this, this temple, this was the temple. They met in the temple, not inside the Holy of Holies. That was reserved only for the priests. On the outside, the temple, they called it the Court of the Gentiles. And all this area could hold about 8,000 people if you put a bunch of them in there. And it talked about 3,000 people getting saved on the day of Pentecost. And then immediately after that, not too long in the future, there's another part where it talks about 5,000 being added to the church. So by the time we read this scripture where they're meeting in the temple and from house to house, there's 8,000 people. That temple court, that area was packed with believers. Spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, believers. Right? So however you feel about tongues... This was right after the day of Pentecost, and this was normal. The supernatural was normal. God was moving in power, and this is what I want you to see. It was visible to the entire city. All of Jerusalem knew what was going on. All of the surrounding areas knew what was going on. It was exploding in growth. If you want a small church, don't join the church in Jerusalem. Right? Because we're like, I want a small church because of the benefits of the small church. And Jesus says, you can have the benefits of a small church the entire time you're growing into a mega church if you do it right. That's what the local church is about. It's what real relationships is about. Not programs, but people. Amen? So we want to build into that. The big thing is they were public meetings. In-house, from Bible says, from house to house they were meeting. So, you know, in a big apostolic type meeting, you're seeing these incredible things happen. And the Bible talks later. Paul talks about what those kind of meetings look like and what the ingredients should be. And so that's for another day. But the Bible says also at the same time they were meeting in each other's homes. So eight, ten thousand 10,000 people in Jerusalem meeting homes on a regular basis and breaking bread and loving one another and uh, uh, connecting and praying for one another, seeing the sick healed, 
you know, the Bible calling for the elders of the church so that people could be prayed for and anointed with oil and the sick would get up. It was just incredible what was going on. And then Hebrews 10, not too long after this, in the, in the near future, um, the writer of Hebrews in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together. He's challenging. He's writing to the church that included some of the Jewish believers and then some people who were connecting with the church. They were Jewish and they were trying Jesus. It's kind of like going to Sam's Club and trying a sample. They're trying to get you to sample that so you go and buy a $20 pack of, of weenies or whatever it is. You know? Like, like I, I don't need 800 hot dogs, but I, you, know, you only get 600 buns. That's how that works. But that, that's the whole idea, right? And so this is what's happened in the book of Hebrews when you read it. The Jewish people, some of them were, were tasting Jesus and then wanting to go back to the law. And he goes after them in a hard way. And one of the things he said, when you come together, there's an expectation to meet together. He says, not giving up meeting together. In other words, look, if, if you want to go and do this thing by yourself, that is not how God wants you to do it. So don't, don't I mean, it says don't give up meeting together. And it says, as some are in the habit of doing. One of the things that happened with COVID, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but we, ha- we lost a lot of people that actually didn't come back to DCF. And, and that was true of every local church in, in probably in the world. And, and they think that probably somewhere around internationally, 30% of people who, who, who went into watching it online or just not being there, I mean, so many people just withdrew from the local church. I don't understand how you can do that, honestly. I look at that and go, the value of connecting in person on a Sunday morning and throughout the week doing this, the value of these kind of meetings, more of a big kind of temple type meeting, you know, and then the house-to-house meetings, like Karen was talking about the, the community groups that we're doing. Those things are so bad. I can't understand why people wouldn't come back. It, it killed me. To, I was preaching in my living room to, a, to an iPhone, and I'm like, that's I love iPhones, but that's not people. I need people in my life, right? I need them to fellowship with and hug me and connect with me and tell him I'm, I'm amazing. My jokes are funny. That keeps coming up for some reason. I don't know why. But here's the thing. There was a regular rhythm of visible display of God meeting with and blessing his people. People saw it. How do I know that? The Bible says when Paul began to persecute the church, where did he go? From house to house. How did he know which houses to go to? They weren't private meetings then. They were public. They were like everybody in their community knew this was a Christian home and they were having meetings and they were having love feasts. They, were, they, this, they would party. Like they would have a good time, right? And enjoy one another. Probably way too much laughter. Kids running around doing kid things, right? There was just so much of that happening because it was life. There was so much life in the local church. And Paul went about, he's going to persecute the church. And he went from house to house, pulling believers out. And, and, and the Bible says that he was, he was agreeing to them, to them being um, uh, persecuted and ultimately some of them even killed. But it was a beautiful thing that was happening. He was, he was, he was watching something that, that Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus and challenged them that not only would he be part of the local church, he would lead and plant local churches. It was amazing. So it goes into this big picture. The Bible talks about throughout Scripture about what did those meetings look like. And I'm just going to give you a taste. We call them the one another's of Scripture. And there's over 100 of them. 50-something, almost 60 of them are specifically to the body of believers and how they one another one another. Right? So let me just give you a few. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16. You can't do that online. Did I say that out loud enough? Okay. Moving on. Admonish one another. You can do that online, but you're going to get in trouble if that's all you do. You need faces when you challenge people, right? They need to see the love that you have for them. Otherwise, you just get in an online fight. Anybody ever been in one of those? Those are fun, right? In the comment section. 
greet one another. Tough to do. I mean, you can say, hey, on Facebook, but that's not what the Bible meant with greet one another. They said, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was in contrast to the culture of an unholy kiss when you would meet, right? So it was all about the real affection and honest, authentic love for one another. It was powerful. Um, Care for one another. You can't do that online. Be devoted to one another. You can't do that online. You can do some of these things online or some of these different one another's, but it's very tough to do these all if you're just having, you know, a remote meeting or watching a service. Build up one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. How do you do that online? I mean, I'm sure you can to some degree. Forgive one another. If you just are in an online service, you're going to have to forgive one another all the time because it always ends up in an internet fight, right? <laughs> I don't know what it is about, about the internet. Part of it is because you're not in person. You'll pick a fight so quick. You'll push back so hard, and you'll say crazy stuff. And like I heard a comedian talk about this. He said, you know, these, all these people who pushed back against, um, uh, what's God's chicken again? Mark, you know, <laughs> So Chick-fil-A, and you know, Chick-fil-A is a Christian organization started by a Christian man, and there were some comments thrown around that maybe weren't as, as, as you know, helpful as they potentially could be, and so the, you know, whole groups of, of Americans decided, we will boycott, you know, Chick-fil-A, and then they had one of those Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and like, you know, they're not so bad, Chick-fil-A's a good, <laughs> right? Like, you'd be in a pride parade, and it's like, hey, there's Chick-fil-A, let's get us a sandwich. Like, we'll, we'll deal with their Christian values later, but right now, it's a good sandwich. That's the way it works online. Like, you, you will argue so quickly online, but right? But when you meet a person, and you push back, and they're kind, and they're loving, and they articulate their argument really well, it changes things, doesn't it? So we know that. You guys get what I'm going after. This is one of the ones that's interesting, Philippians 2.4. Look to the interests of one another. Prefer your brother and sister above yourself, the Bible says. That's, that's powerful, and it's awful, awful difficult to do that online, right? How do you do that? If you're not up in each other's lives, in a good way, right? In a good way. If you're not connected, if, you're not, if, if, if you don't know something's happening with a person, if they're not in a meeting on a Sunday morning, right, if you're eight to 10,000 people, there's a good chance you're not going to know that unless you have a relationship with them. If they're not in your community group on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a Thursday night, you will know that. If someone walks into your community group and they're normally chipper and everything's all, and they've got those, that happy personality. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I live with one of those. <laughs> right? It's like Tigger all the time. It's like, stop bouncing. I can't track you, right? Where are you? But if, if that person walks in and you say, hey, how you doing? And they say, you know, I'm all right. And you're looking at them going, no, you're not. And then the next 10, 15 minutes, man, you find yourself praying for them, loving on them, encouraging them, having a word for them. I mean, just God moving in their lives. And they walk away different because they showed up at community group. How hard do you think it was, would it be for them to go to that community group when they're feeling that way? Right? I, I get people sometimes go, you know, I, was, I didn't come to church because I was feeling real bad. And I'm like, and I've, I'm just being honest. I've been there where I'm like, I, I can't. Right, if I go to church, it's going to be ugly, right? Especially digestive issues. Like, nope, there's some things you're just like, I'm going to watch online. Thank God for online. That's one thing we can do well, right? But if you, if you are in a group of people where the healing movement of God is happening on us every Sunday morning, and we're leaning into that hard as a church going, Lord, restore what we saw in the book of Acts in the early days of the church when healing was common, when Jesus healed everybody who came to him. Lord, we want that. And we recognize there are challenges, but we lean into it. We're not going to be disappointed and, and create a doctrine based on our dip, disappointment. We're going to create our doctrine based on what God says. 
And when, and when there's a gap, we're not going to fill in the gap what we think ought to go in the gap. We're just going to say, Lord, we're going to trust you that you can bring the gap closer. In my lifetime, if we were praying for people and 2% of the people got healed, man, in 30-something, 40, 50 years of ministry, I would love to move that number up to 4%. I'd love to see it 80, right? I don't know how realistic that is, but I know this. All it takes is a spark. And that testimony, and then that becomes a normal thing in a culture, especially in a local church, and it explodes, and we see a healing revival like we've not seen since the book of Acts. That's what local church does, right? But it doesn't work if you're not together, if you don't come together. There is nothing as beautiful or as powerful as local church when it works like it should. Nothing is beautiful and as powerful. Spiritual necessity, this is the second one. Spiritually necessary is what the church is all about. Romans 12 um, says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Did you know that? That if everybody had the same, could you imagine a body with everybody's a big toe? Nothing wrong with big toes. Try to, try to walk without one. <laughs> it's all, you have to learn how to walk again. That's how important big toes are, right? But if everybody's that, you know, and the Bible goes in, where's the eye? Where's the ear? Where are the functions of the body? That's where we all come into play. And we esteem, the Bible says, others above. We say, oh, this gift is beautiful and powerful and it's so impactful. And that's true and those are wonderful things. We celebrate the gift and we celebrate the, the calling on people's lives. But that does not diminish every single person who's a member of the body of Christ and their value and their importance to the other part of the body. Right? So imagine, because there's such a flow in the life of the body. You know, there's nutrients that come through, blood. Uh, oxygenization, hormones, all these things that are flowing and going and moving inside the body. Can you imagine what would happen if you cut off somebody's left arm and just, you know, it just stayed home for two weeks, <laughs> right? What, do you think it's just going to be fine? Oh, we'll just reconnect that in a, at a later date, right? There's a, there's a time limit. Once, you, once a piece of the body is removed, I mean, you guys know this medically, that there's a time limit before it begins to decay and die until you, in, in, until you can't put it back together as a part. It's just a frightening thing. It's a picture of the natural body that moves into the, into the spiritual. So what does that look like? Parts of the body. They're grace gifts like leadership and hospitality and encouragement and compassion. I promise you this morning, if you came in with, with, a, uh, with a challenging week that you'd hit and you walk into Loretta back there, wave Loretta, and, and, if, and she hugs you, all of your troubles and problems will go away because she has the ministry of hugging. I don't even know if that's in the Bible, but it's just, that's what she does. And, and she does it better than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. She's amazing. That's not her only gift, by the way. You need to understand that. Incredibly prophetic. She's beautiful in a million different ways. But that part of the body, and, and sometimes I'll sneak, I come in the back. So she's up here in the front, and I, she doesn't know this, but I'll just make my way in here and I'll find her so she can hug me. And I feel it. I'm not kidding. I feel it. I was in a, I was in a meeting in Costa Rica one time, and I was, I, it was, we're doing mission work, so I'm doing, I'm doing the Lord's work. I'm the man. You know, I'm preaching. I'm teaching. Woo! I'm so awesome. You know, my spark's flying from my fingertips. But personally, I was not doing well, right? And, and I, was, I was praying for some people. One of the guys, one of the guys from Costa Rica, he walks up to me. He said, brother, he said, I feel like the Lord is just saying, you just need some encouragement. I said, yeah, that's really true. He said, could I hug you? And I said, well, we're men, so as long as we keep it short, and you pat me on the back, that's what men do, right? Yeah, three times. No, you go more than three times. We have some concern we need to talk about over coffee. So he hugs me. True story. He hugs me, and, and I gave it the appropriate amount of time, and he didn't let go. And I gave it, I doubled the time. I'm like, come on now. Maybe it's Costa Rica. I don't know. Maybe you guys hug longer. Than we, so I, he, and and he, he wouldn't stop. 
and he wouldn't let me go. And then I got irritated. I was like, come on now. I'm starting to question my masculinity if you don't stop this, right? I'm, <laughs> I did. And at some point, something happened in me, and I, and I broke, and I just started weeping. And then I wouldn't let him go. And we were there for, I don't know, way too long. <laughs> People were staring at us like, oh, look at that couple. You know, it's like, I don't know. But all I know is I walked away from that going, um, there's a ministry called Hugging. I don't know. And he told me later, I asked him about that. He said, yeah, he said, from time to time, the Lord will just tell me to do that, go hug. He said, it's usually with men, too. You know, I'm a man. so other, And he's very masculine. He goes, but it's usually with men. And he goes, and I'll do it. And he goes, and I feel them squirm. And he goes, no, I just don't let them go. I'm like, has anybody, like, forcefully pushed themselves away? He said, they've tried. <laughs> well, uh, look, all my preaching and teaching, all the things that were going on didn't help me on the inside that day. But that hug... It did. So if you think you don't matter, you need to understand. It doesn't matter what your gift is. It's powerful, and it brings breakthrough. I was going to put this up on the screen. I didn't have time for it today, though. But if you follow the lineage of Billy Graham, Billy Graham, by the time he was you know, finished with his ministry, they figured conservatively preached to 2.2 billion people personally. Not just on the screen, personally. 2.2 billion. Billion people in his lifetime of ministry. Did you know if you track his lineage back of how people got saved, and the guy who actually, Mordecai Ham, was the guy who led Billy Graham to the Lord when he was a teenager. But if you back that up, in that lineage is Dwight Moody. Um, there's another guy called Billy Sunday, who was a professional baseball player who got saved, and he started preaching the gospel. And you back it all the way up, the original guy, they, they can track it back this far, he was a Sunday school teacher. He taught young, middle-aged boys, and he loved them. And he said he saw the challenges and the hurt in their culture. Can you imagine? This is 150 years ago almost. And he said he just loved them and, and spent time with them individually and led them into a life-giving relationship, a vital walk with Jesus. And one of those guys was, um, was Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody preached into Billy Sunday. There was a few others. And then eventually Mordecai Ham. And then Mordecai Ham preached into Billy Graham. How many people did Billy Graham preach to? But do you know where that lineage started? It started in a local church. With a man who had a passion to love on middle school boys. And how many know that's a supernatural gift? You ever tried to love on a middle school boy? <laughs> but his heart went out to him. And because of that... 2.2 billion, not counting all the other preachers who preached to crowds too. Billions of people heard the gospel because of that man's faithfulness to those middle school boys. Isn't that powerful? I love it. There's nothing as beautiful or as powerful as a local church when it looks like it should. Number three, emotionally nourishing. This is in, imperative of the local church. So there's a couple of studies. Um, I, I tried to narrow it down, but there's so many studies about relationship and, and emotional connection, you know, out, moving from loneliness into a community. The CDC, um, which I'm not sure how much we all trust them anymore, so they're going to have to earn some trust back. But they said uh, that loneliness and isolation is a serious public health risk. Like they literally put it on their website, that, that, that isolation and loneliness, which I think is, you know, Anyway, I won't get there. <laughs> Tulane University study uh, said that social isolation can lead to various health issues like sleep problems, weak immune system, anxiety, depression, higher suicide rate, rates, also connected to poor cardiovascular health and cognitive function. 
You're brain dead if you don't come to church. That's going to be my new slogan, right? Tulane University said it. It's right there in my notes. So there's another one, a study published in the Journals of Gerontology, and they concluded that, lo- concluded that loneliness was associated with a 40% increase in the risk of dementia. Again, you don't come to church, you're out of your mind. I, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. But my point is, <laughs> even the American Psychological Association, which, you know, like some, some of the stuff we're seeing there, like, you know, some of the care that, that, that the culture is driving medical, you know, people, then they're, 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 they're affirming identities that are not healthy identities. We've seen this. It's literally causing, cost, costing psychologists their jobs if they push back against the current cultural trend. And, but yet, they even said this, a lack of social connection heightens health risk, risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Let me say that again. A lack of social connection heightens health risk as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having uh, alcohol use disorder or alcoholism. Loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. It's powerful, right? And we don't, I mean, we don't hear about these. Well, let me give you some other shed, studies in the positive direction. Um, that article I read from, uh, from the Atlantic, uh, it says, participation in church community correlates with better health outcomes and longer life. That makes sense. Higher financial generosity. That's a big one. That's really huge because we're all struggling sometimes. Like, how do we make it? And then more stable families. There was an online uh, column article in USA Today and it posed this really fascinating question. And they put it out, and it just got all kinds of views. It said, if research quite conclusively showed that when consumed just once a week, there is a concoction that would reduce your mortality by 20 to 30% over a 15-year period, how urgently would we want to make it publicly available? Guess what that is? Regular attendance at church. This is I don't know if you know about USA Today, but it turns out they're not a Christian organization, (laughs) which makes it even more fascinating. Research has shown, it goes on to say, that service attendance, rather than private spirituality, whatever the heck that is, or solitary practice, strongly predicts health. In other words, it's not just you being spiritual. It's about you being part of a spiritual community, especially a church community. Regarding generosity in the church, you'll love this. Consider the Gates Foundation, which is the world's largest charitable foundation. They contribute into Africa, low-income countries. Um, This is their signature effort. And and again, they range from malaria protection to HIV control to eradicating polio. They do incredible things. Um, Bill Gates is really, really, really rich, right? So with this in mind, with the Gates generosity in mind, listen to this. Members of U.S. churches, that's not the world, that's just U.S. churches, and synagogues send four and a half times as much money overseas to needy people every year as the Gates Foundation does. Four and a half times they send it. But it's not from millionaires. It's from people like you and I who send a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. We've been, Karen and I, I, I try to be careful about saying kind of this stuff because it can appear self-serving. But we've been, uh, we've been spending money or sending money overseas um, about 30 or $40 a year, uh, I mean a month, uh, to what's it called again, the organization? Yeah, Compassion International. So there's a little girl, we've been watching her grow up in pictures and she sends us notes every, all, all the time. And we just sprayed into this. We were at a conference and they put the, the thing out and you know, I'm, I'm not careful about all appeals. I don't just want to do it because I, you know, it, it, I, I ought to. I'm careful of that. But I really, we really felt the Lord say to do that. And so we've been part of that now for years years. And, and when we go back and look, look at the statistics, we, we see that that little bit of giving 
according to what Compassion International tells us, will literally change the life of kids all over the world. I mean change their life. Like sometimes rescue them from malnourishment, all those things, just a little bit of money. It's amazing what a little bit of money does if everybody's doing it. And that's part of what we do as the local church. We contribute to what God's doing. We're supposed to give into what the kingdom is doing. So anyway, we'll get into that later. So here's, here's one, your favorite, the U.S. government. U.S. individual giving to the overseas poor now totals $44 billion annually, right? Connected to that last statistic. The, the U.S. government gives $33 billion in official aid distribution. And the local churches give $44 billion. Well, the truth is local churches give more because we pay our taxes and the government uses our taxes to also send money to the poor. As a side note, sorry, I didn't mean to get into political. What about prisoners? The bulk of volunteers mentoring prisoners and their families, both while they're incarcerated and after their release, guess what, are Christians. Who knew, right? Care and recovery for the homeless. 2000 study found that 58% of the emergency shelter beds in 11 surveyed cities are maintained by religious providers or churches. Local congregations provide 130,000 alcohol recovery programs, 120,000 programs that assist the unemployed, provide 26,000 programs to help people living with HIV AIDS. Wow, right? Classic study, this is really interesting, talking about social needs. A classic study by Harvard economist James Freeman found that black males living in inner city poverty tracts were far less likely to engage in crime and drug use if they attended church. I remember a guy posed a question. He was talking about the local church. And he said, he said, if you saw two heavily or four heavily tattooed men and you were walking, you know, you're walking somewhere in the city and you had to take a shortcut through the alley. And he said, and you saw four heavily tattooed, incredibly muscular, challenging looking men coming towards you. He said, do you think it would make a difference in how you felt about it if you knew they just came from a Bible study? <laughs> I think it would. Church attendance was also associated with better academic performance and more success in holding jobs. We've seen that working with at-risk kids and families. Religious, regular religious participation correlated with many positive social outcomes, less poverty, fewer divorces, more marital happiness, fewer births out of wedlock, less suicide, and that's a big one right now that we need desperately, reduced binge drinking, less depression, better relationships, more sexual enjoyment among the church. That's an interesting one. Go look that one up. That's, it's, we're trying to keep it PG-13 in here, but go look that one up. That's a fascinating one. So it comes back to there's nothing as beautiful or as powerful as the local church when it works like it should. Amen? Number four, mentally renewing. Romans 12, too, we all know this scripture, and, and a big part of our mission and the vision that we have as a church is connected to this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There are patterns of this world that want to isolate. One of the things that you see articles right now is the challenge in the local church. Some of the secular um, um, researchers think that the challenge in church decline is because the culture moved away from community connection and community values and moved to individual values. So now it's all about your success and the kind of car that you drive and, and, and you know, what you, the vacations that you can go on and all that stuff. Why? Because wealth has become ubiquitous. We all are wealthy. If you're concerned about the 1%, be careful because in the world, every one of us as Americans are the 1%. Right? If you made a choice about which toothpaste you were going to buy, you are the 1%. Our friend Maladin, who's coming from Bosnia in a couple of weeks, we, I remember we had him here and we took him to Walmart or somewhere, a grocery store, and, and he just needed to get some shampoo. And we walked down the aisle and I said, well, you know, here's the shampoo. And he just stood there for a long time, right? And I was like, you okay? He said, 
I, I, I'm a bit overwhelmed. And I'm like, it's just shampoo, man. Just pick one. He goes, I have no idea which shampoo. To he was literally paralyzed by the choices that were available. When we went to Bosnia, we went to it in a little store to get some shampoo or, or, or toothpaste or whatever. And we walked in and there was one option. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm getting it because there ain't a, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. So we're, we're all wealthy. So Romans 12, 2, there's a pattern in this world, but it says to be transformed, be changed. Everything has to come in, in, through the local church. It transforms us. How? By renewing our mind. This teaching, what I'm doing right now in this, on, on a Sunday morning, is that temple-type apostolic someone preaching, proclaiming the word of God. We still have need for that today. It's not just teaching. It's not just five ways to a better marriage or live your best life. I love those things, but you can find that in the secular world. Part of preaching is proclaiming this is the way God designed it. This is his way, and if we're not doing it, we need to come in alignment. Now, we do that without beating you up, without you know, reminding you that in God's grace, he's not going to ask you to do something if he hasn't given you the power to do it. But come on, step up, right? And, and you guys hear that, and like, can next week we have someone with a compassion gift speak? Because Dave's, right? But we need all of that. We do need those compassion gifts. We need somebody to come alongside us and love us and walk us through some of those challenges, right? But we also need somebody to kick us in the tail sometimes and go, step up, man. Quit making excuses and rise to the occasion. Why? Because God said this is what he's building. Do you want to be a part of it or don't you? Right? Anyway, <laughs> fellowship. You know, we talked about this earlier about the hugging thing. Some of the greatest transformation in my life, because we think it's just about teaching and preaching, but it's not. Some of the greatest transformation in my life happened in a fellowship moment like that hug, right? Like Loretta and her, her kindness to me. Like people coming around me going, Dave, we're so thankful for you. I'm like, why? Like, we, we don't know. We have to... <laughs> But the Lord told me to tell you that, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, that's helpful. <laughs> the, word, the Bible, this is Proverbs 25, 11. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And we know that's true. Why? Because there's nothing as beautiful or as powerful as the local church when it works like it should. So what, is a whole, what does a healthy local church look like? And I'm wrapping up with this. I'm going to give you, I think it's uh, four or five things here. Uh, what should we look for in a good healthy local church. What ought the church to look like? What was God's intent? This is Ephesians 3.10. It says his, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. When God designed us, he said, they are not good alone. Go back and read the, the first time somebody's alone is Adam's got the whole garden to himself. And as a man, I thought, that's amazing. Like nobody's bothering you. You don't have to think about dinner. You can just work in your garden cave or whatever you call that, right? It's so awesome. And what does God say? He looks at him and he goes, oh, you're, you need some help. Right? So what does he do? The Bible says he, what is it? he takes the rib, not the, not the ankle bone, right? But the rib, not the head, but the rib, why? Think about that. That whole beautiful protection and, and wrapping your arm around, loving your wife, but also realizing that she's, she's pretty powerful herself. So she's not down there, but she's also not going to take the head roll. All those things God's saying, you need somebody in relation with you properly, biblically, whatever that looks like. And before the fall, it was, the, they were submitted one to another. They were leading together. It was a powerful thing, right? So God says, it's not good that you be alone. And he meant that in Genesis, and he meant that today. And his eternal purpose before he ever created anybody was that we would all come together and be a part of a local church. This was his design and how he wanted to do it. 
Do they love one another? This is a first qualification. Do people love one another? Not do they say it, but do they actually do it? And you can tell not by their words, but by the experiences. What does it look like when someone fails? What does it look like when, when people have challenges, they lose their job, or they go through a divorce, or, or a, a girl is, is, you know, gets pregnant out of wedlock? What does it look like? How does the church walk with them? Do they love one another? Right? Not preach it. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, or in John. He says, if you love, if you have love for one another. This is how the world, they'll look at us and go, there's something different about these guys. It's not just selfish. They really love each other. Do they preach a gospel of grace or of works? This is Galatians 1. It says, I'm astonished. He's talking to a local church that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Do you know legalism is a different gospel? It's mixing the law, trying to mix the law with grace, and you cannot do that. It is impossible. You can't do it. So it always ends up, if you try to mix uh, the law with grace, it always ends up the law. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What is that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That was Paul's one thing. The only thing he did, and I don't know if you notice it, you hang around here, you will find out we are really big on grace. Not just preaching it, teaching it, but living it. So let me just t- hit a pause. As we move forward, we're talking about leadership development as a, as a team. We've got a new leadership team over the last 18 months to two years that we have been, we've been connecting with one another. We've been talking about vision. We've been talking about the future. Um, used to, you could plan you know, a three to seven year strategic goal and you were good. Nowadays, by the time you finish typing it, you have to put up a new one because culture and, and change is happening so fast. I mean, just even this morning, with, I mean, or yesterday with Israel and all the things, you know, at war. I mean, literally, they're at war. That happened at a day. It went from what, I mean, there's always unrest, but now there's war. And what does that mean? And how's America going to, I mean, all those things happen, right? But, but I, my challenge this morning as I was coming in is like, remind us to focus that the way you answer that problem is you answer it with the local church. Hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of local churches all around the world. Binding together, they've sent missionaries, they're, people, they're sending uh, uh, hospitals that are led by religious people who go in and they make a difference in war-torn countries, right? You don't see often atheists wanting to help people like that. It's just, for some reason, it's just all about the atheists, right? Are they led by the Holy Spirit-appointed leaders? Acts 20 says something very interesting. It says, keep, this is speaking to the elders of the church. Karen and I, Alan and Diane and David and Callie are elders, and then we've got our deacon team as well. But this is what it says. Acts 20, 28, but I'm um, sorry, Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit makes elders overseers of the church. Why is it so important when you plug into a local church, why should you check on the leadership team? Because if, if, if the leadership, leadership team isn't healthy, the church will not be healthy. You can only put, air, put airs on for so long, right? That's why Paul said over and over, you know my manner of life with you. I've been with you. You've seen the challenges. You've seen me beat up for the gospel and how I reacted to that. You've seen the persecution that comes to the church and how I reacted to that. You've seen trouble in the church and how I lead people through that. You've seen me, right? And you know my manner of living so you can trust my leadership. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and he wants to appoint leaders in a church, a governmental role that chooses directions not based on what the elders want to do. Somebody came to me one time and said, man, it must be nice being an elder. You get to do whatever you want. I said, you obviously don't understand the role of an elder. 
That's like saying to a, a parents, must be nice being in charge of the family. You get to do whatever you want. Is that how family works? Not even a little bit, right? Is the presence and power of Jesus evident among them? We're going to get into some of these others deeply. But is the presence of God evident among us? Um, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. This is Timothy. I think I got the wrong scripture reference. I believe it was Timothy. Will come from men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. It's kind of the culture. And then it says this about the church. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Paul tells a leader of local church who's building into eldership teams all around his region, if you've got religious people who deny God's power, don't even hang out with them. Now, that's real challenging. I don't know. You have to work that out in terms of, you know, what does that look like to fellowship? What I've discovered is most people who are part of churches who are denying the power don't even know that's happening. Even the pastors sometimes, when I point out something like, you know, you guys believe in the Holy Trinity, like the Father, Son, the Holy Bible. They're like, absolutely. That's totally. I'm like, let me say that again, <laughs> right? And, and they're like, you know what? We, we, I grew up in church. We never even talked about the Holy Spirit. Like, how does that even happen? But the Bible says you have to have the presence and the power of God among you. What does that look like? Well, I've shared recently about our words of knowledge. We're going to put some of those up at the end of our meeting. And, 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 and these words of knowledge, we pray and we ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to people individually? And several people have come and said, I, I, that word of knowledge, that was for me. One of them was a, a, a new couple who came just recently. Six months ago, she had a dream. And, and, and the thing up on the screen that someone felt that Sunday morning to put up there was uh, the, uh, the tide has gone out. And you're out there collecting treasures from where the tide has gone out. You're just collect she literally had that exact dream six months ago. So imagine her and her husband are coming here for training out at the base, and he's going to be a helicopter pilot. It's a huge transition. It's like, oh, I have to find a church. I have to get a place to live. It's like, ah, new friends. Ah, Lord, I want to find a church. So they, they came to church and, and started plugging in to find a local church before they even checked in at the base. I mean, literally, they're like, we've got to do this quick, right? And then you see, it's so amazing. You see, she sees this thing, and she's like, this is my church. She doesn't have to search anymore. Why? The presence and the power of Jesus is evident among us. And God used her dream to go, hey, remember six months ago when I talked to you? This is what I meant. Isn't that powerful? And we're going to see treasures. She's going to pick up treasures in their life, even this season when, her when the tide is out. 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And, and, I, and this is my last one. Why is this so important? It's, it's not just talk, because anybody can have a philosophy or a worldview, and there are tons of them. There are five major religions in the world, right, with millions and millions, some even billions of adherents. So, and I hear people all, all the time say, well, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what you believe as long as it's, you know, sincere. And I said, that's sincerely the stupidest thing I've ever heard a man say, <laughs> right? It's easy to pick apart. It's just because, it, listen, it has to be true, or it has, it's not going to have any value, right? You can believe it all you want. You can die for it if you want to. But if it's not true, it's not going to be helpful. And Scripture speaks to that. It says if, if our walk as Christians, if, if we being Christians is not true, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, which is the power of God manifest in the world, if that didn't happen, as he said, of all people, we're the most to be pitied as Christians. But if he did, it changes everything. You know why? Because that same power, the Bible says, it raised Christ from the dead. Guess where it dwells? In you, in the local church. God will move in you because he wants to move through you. Your inheritance as an individual person is tied to your inheritance being released because God releases your inheritance into you 
and then he releases out of you into other people. Your gift, your calling, your passions, you building into skills that God is, is, is challenging you to develop. All of that builds into everything that God wants to do in and in through you. And we talk to people all the, all the time. They're like, they're struggling to go, I'm trying to make a bunch of money. I'm going to do this online thing. And, whatever. and they've got great ideas. And I'm like, I love it, man. I hope that the Lord has given you some direction and you're pursuing those things because otherwise it's just going to be a mess. But I do know this, that everything God does, he does through relationship. So if you try to isolate, you say, you know, even the secular, secular poet says, no man's an island. Right? You can't be by yourself. You have to be connected to something that is transcendent above us. We know that instinctively. So 1 Corinthians says there's something not just above us. Supernatural doesn't mean against nature. It means above. We are connected to the one who is above nature. He made nature. He created it. And this is his eternal plan to put us together. So what does that look like? Sometimes you irritate me, and sometimes I irritate you. And the Bible says when you rub those two pieces of steel together, guess what you get? <laughs> Sparks. <laughs> right? And you get sharpening, the Bible talks about. Iron sharpens iron. You can't sharpen iron with clay. We're going to, listen, as we move forward as a church, we're praying. We're going missional, and we're saying, Lord, send us, you know, send us the ones that are broken, the ones that are hurting. Lord, also maybe send us a few mature people. We'd like that too. That would be super helpful. But in the meantime, we're fathers and mothers, and God's going to send us young people who are not trained. They're going to send us young people who are a mess, who came out of dysfunctional homes, including dysfunctional churches. And he's going to say, I want you to shepherd these guys. I want you to disciple them. And I want you to take the inheritance that I put in you and give that to them and release them into the earth. Who knows that maybe another Billy Graham is sitting in this room right now that's going to preach the gospel to billions of people. And So what does that look like? Maybe it looks like for you serving in kids' church going, you know what? We had, we had uh, Alan Palmer. Some of you guys know Alan. He's retired now, and he's living in Florida. And he's, when we came in, I bought this, uh, first came here 14 years ago, I bought this little soft play climbing toy for the, to- for the babies. And, it, you know, it was, it was only about this high. And, you know, they get on it and climb. If they fall off of it, roll, it's padded. It was, it was awesome. I thought, what? I'm so smart as a pastor. Look at what I've done. It's so amazing. The kids are going to love it. The parents are going to love it. And Alan Palmer hated it. And he came to me and said, I don't like that toy. I said, what, it, it, you feel like it's dangerous or something? He said, no. He goes, because used to, I would come and lay down in the middle of the floor, and those babies would crawl all over me. And he goes, Dave, you don't know what that did to my soul as an accountant. (laughs) I said, well, let's get rid of it. He goes, no, I just lay down, they climb on me too, so it's okay. (laughs) But I look at that and go, I wonder what that did to some of those babies climbing on Alan Palmer who loved them, who prayed all the time, prayed for those babies. God, raised them up. He had kids and grandkids of his own, and he would pray over those kids in the spirit. Can you imagine? What does it take? It takes you doing what God's called you to do. Meeting the church where your gifts intersect the need, right? And sometimes you just got to pick up the trash because there's no picking up the trash in, in, in the Bible as a gift. I drive on our campus some days, and for whatever reason, somebody we've got a long stretch of road out there, and somebody throws out a McDonald's bag. I picked up one the other day, and it was McDonald's bag and French fries just strewn all the way across the entire front of our road. Some of it was, was the wind, but I was picking up those French fries. The ants were still eating them, and truthfully, I could probably ate them too. They were probably still good with all the stuff in them, right? But I walked down there, and I picked it all up, and I, and I just remember doing that. I'm like, Lord, I don't do this because I like picking up trash. I do this because I care about what this represents to the people who see our church as they drive by and see our sign. So I didn't do it. I didn't put the trash out there. And I don't have the gift of picking up trash. 
our, our tree limbs out here, you see our tree limbs are hanging down like this because of the pecans. Don't park under the trees, by the way, when the pecans are heavy. You're liable to fall on your, your car. <laughs> right? But we park under them because of the shade, and it's awesome. But when those tree limbs fall, fall down, somebody has to move those tree limbs. Right? We pay for the grass to be mowed. We, we pay for the rooms to be cleaned so that you don't have to pour your, your strength out into that, which is awesome because it's part of your giving. But as we move forward, if we want to see God impact the world through this local church in the ways that he's calling us to do, you are going to have to give more. You're going to have to serve more. You're going to have to believe more. You're going to have to lean into the gifts and the callings of God on your life. And you are going to see an inheritance come through us that's going to blow your ever-loving mind. But it's got to come through you saying, I'm going to do my part. What is your part? I don't know. I know you're gifted. I know you're called. Get with us as leaders. We go through on a regular basis how you can plug into the local church. Well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I can afford to give. I don't know if you can afford not to. Karen and I started giving 30-something years ago. We figured it out one day. And we don't make, I don't know if you know, but going into the pastoral work is not how you make a million dollars, okay? But we figured it out. We've probably given, I know we've given hundreds of thousands of dollars over our lifetime. Every single week we get paid. We just give every single week. We have forever. When the downturn in the economy hit in, in, in uh, Atlanta, I, I remember getting a paycheck of probably $80, and, and I gave a percentage of that. Pray, Lord, you know how the struggle is. Give a percentage of that. And every time we've done that, the Lord has blessed us in ways we can't even begin to tell you. You still need to be smart with your money, but that's part of biblical finance to save. It's, it, we, you have to do that, and we don't always do it perfectly. But I know this. That every blessing we have, we sit out on our back porch right now. And we've got a beautiful back porch, beautiful yard, beautiful home. God's blessing and kindness is on us. And every bit of that, I'm the only person in my extended family that's ever lived in a brick home. That's how poor we were. My dad was from Appalachian Mountains. We're the only ones. I did not go after a brick home. That was part of me serving in the kingdom. The Lord said, you know what? I don't have a problem with you having this. As long as you don't let it have you. Amen. So as we lean into this, God's going to put a call on you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to say, it's time to step up. Don't, ha- don't create a habit where you're not in the church, in community, in connection. It's not just attending a meeting. You can do that online. It's being a part. Bring your strength. Don't just come and attend church. Come and be the church. Amen? Release the kingdom of God through you and other people because we desperately, desperately need it. There is nothing as beautiful or as powerful as a local church, when it works like it should. Amen? Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful. God, you are amazing in our lives. Lord, thank you for this plan of the local church. Lord, help us to discover the joy, the power, Lord. Sometimes the sacrifice, Lord, all those things come hand in hand. Um, Comes with a challenge and invitation. But Lord, as we move, the local church, as one other guy said, is the hope of the world because it releases Jesus into the earth. It changes and transforms people. It is the place where people connect and grow and are discipled and learn how to walk in the fullness of their inheritance. So, Lord, would you do that? Would you pour out your inheritance into your people? And, Lord, would we be reminded that there's a reason we've been given much so that we can share much? And So we receive that, Lord. We see the vision for the future and the growth and the challenge and the change and everything that comes because, God, you are leading this local church into everything you've promised it. And we say thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, um, as many of you know, um, everything that is going, if you've seen what's happened in the news, and I know that David kind of mentioned it in um, the service this morning for Israel. So if you will, will you just stand with me this morning? We want to pray for Israel.
and then we'll go into some of our words of knowledge. But we want to be very honoring of the word of God where it says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And um, so, if you will, let's just pray together. Yeah, Father, we just come right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for a messianic promise over this nation. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord, that for those who love you would be secure. God, that there would be peace within your walls and there would be security within the citadels, within the government of that people and of that nation, Lord. God, that you would give them wisdom. Lord, we pray that peace would be within them. But God, we pray this morning that there would be protection of the innocent, Lord, both in Israel and in the nations surrounding that nation, Lord. And God, we thank you for what you're doing in the day that we live in, Lord. God, that um, your timeline revolves around this nation because it is your chosen people. But God, thank you for Jesus because he has grafted us into a promise to be your people and to be grafted into this beautiful inheritance. So God, we thank you for that this morning. And we do. We pray for the peace of of Israel, Lord, it is a chosen nation, and we know that. And Lord, thank you for the people, Lord, that you love. God, that you have chosen multiple generations throughout all of time and through and into all of eternity, Lord, because it's the heart of God to restore us to you. So Lord, thank you for that this morning. And God, just give wisdom to leaders, give wisdom supernaturally to government officials, Lord, protect, Lord, those who are missionaries, Lord, to those who are preaching the gospel, Lord, within that nation and within the nations around it, Lord, that this morning, that the word of the Lord would be clear over them, Lord, and over that region, Lord. Thank you for the promises that you have spoken and that you have declared, and we say this morning, yes and amen to every promise and every believer, Lord, God, in those areas and in those regions, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And this morning, we're going to put up some words of knowledge. Our uh, ministry team spent some time praying for us um, as a body. And for those of you who are watching online, um, to reach out for that if you would like to have prayer. But this morning, um, if any of these words resonate with you and you would like to be prayed for, our ministry team is going to be up front. I'm going to ask them to go ahead and come up. And we would love to pray for you for those. If you need encouragement or for anything else, we would love to pray for you. So thank you so much, you guys. Thanks for being with us this morning. And have a great week. We will look forward to seeing you next Sunday.